Hey, this is Tim from Kalamunda Church of Christ, and today I hope that this podcast blesses you. If you are wanting to know anything more about our beautiful church, why don't you hop online and head to our website at kalamunda.church. Thank you so much, worship team. It's a blessing when I get to be a part of worship. It's my own fault. I do the rostering and I put myself on all the time, but it's good to be in church this morning and get to worship with you. Is it good to be in church? You seem like you're a little bit quiet. Hey, I mean, I'm a, I'm a youth pastor, and um, I preach a lot at young adults. And at young adults, they heckle me, and um, they actually they give me some feedback. So I need you to, I need you to come, on, come along with a journey with me and actually give me some noise, okay? We're not dead in this room. We're alive in Christ. Am I right? Come on, that's better. All right. We're on a constant journey of steps, church. Each of us has a next step to take. Each of us has a next act of obedience. And I just want to encourage you before I get into the sermon today, it can be hard to take those steps. It can be hard to accept God's will in our life. It can be tough. And hence, it is so important to have a church community around you that will champion you, that will lift you up, that will encourage you, that will also challenge you when need be, that will pull you up. And this is a beautiful church here at Kalamunda because we believe so wholeheartedly in challenging each other, in encouraging each other, and in discipling. This is a church. Our mission is to make sure that we make disciples. We were called by Jesus to make disciples, and if we're not doing it, we are not on track with our purpose. So hey, if you're coming to this church and it's your first time, welcome. If it's not, then I want to encourage you, be a participant in church, not just an attendee. You want to get deeper in your faith? Be a participant. Get to know your church. Serve at your church. God loves a cheerful server as well as a cheerful giver. But you will also begin to develop a heart for this community, a heart for this family. And I just, I promise you'll start to see God work in ways that you could never have imagined when you open yourself and say, God, I am going to be obedient to your will. I'm going to serve where you tell me to serve. I'm going to be challenged by those who I need to be challenged by because I'm willing to open myself up to them. So hey, that was just a tangent. I want to encourage you, participate. Don't just attend in church. But today's question is an awesome question. And I have the privilege today of finishing our frequently asked questions before we go into our next series, Hope in Every Season. I am so excited for this series. It's going to run all the way up until Christmas, including our family service. And it's going to be a beautiful time where we actually begin to look into the life of Jesus and our reason for this season. But today I get to finish our frequently asked series. And today our question is, how do I know God's will? Or how do we know God's will? So I wasn't given multiple questions. I was given this one simple question because it's a doozy of a question. There's so much to this. It's a really hard question to answer. How do you know God's will? Because we don't know his mind. We don't know how he works. We can't even begin to fathom the goodness of our God and how he works and what plans he has for our life. But we're going to try today. I'm going to do my best to try to start unpacking this question. Now, as, as always, this is my interpretation of my answer for this question. This may not be what God would say is his will, but I believe I've, I've done enough research and I'm in line with what God is saying. So if you have any further questions, please tee up a coffee time with me. Let's delve a little deeper into it. But I believe there's two ways that we can kind of interpret this question and I want to touch on both to make sure that whoever asks this question, I'm doing justice to their question and I'm not leaving any areas out. 
I believe we could interpret it, how do we know God's will in the grand plan of our life? So how do we know his will overall? What is his will for my life? What will I do with my life? What is God's will for my future? And then there's the, how do I know God's will in each and every situation? Which comes back to an issue of communication. How do I know what God is saying to me? How do I interpret what his will is for what I'm going to be doing later today? How do I know when God's speaking to me in the line at a checkout that I need to preach the gospel to the checkout person? So I think that there's two ways that we can approach it. And so I, I want to um, hopefully answer both those sort of questions. But that there is something that we need to address before we can delve into how do we know his will. And it's the question of will I accept his will? Because there's no point understanding, and we're going to get to the point, there's no point of understanding how to know his will if you're going to struggle to commit to it and be obedient to it in the first place. And that's my first challenge straight off the block. If we can't submit to it and say yes to his will, there's no point in learning how to understand it. So we need to come with a heart posture today, church. If I'm going to know his will, I need to accept his will. And that can be hard for us because we have free will. And free will means we get to make decisions over our life. And that decision can be to go against God. I mean, there's, there's leaders in this room, there's business owners, there's team leaders who you know. Sometimes it can be really hard to delegate, to take your hands off the wheel. Is there anybody else that struggles with delegation? Yeah, I do from time to time. Okay, there's a few honest people in the room. Come on. And we, um, we, we struggle with delegation sometimes because you, you don't want to take your hands off. You know you can do the job well. And we've all probably been burnt in the past by delegating to somebody who we thought was capable and thought was, had the capacity but wasn't able to pull through. I um, Yep, there's, there's definitely some people. I, um, I worked as a landscaper for a couple of years there at Landscapes for Life. Mickey D is cringing. He still works there. He may be there for life. Um, <laughs> Love you, Mickey D. Now, he's going to be a teacher with me. We're going to be teacher bros. Anyway, but I, I worked at Landscapes for Life, and um, I, was, I, I quickly rose to a team leader, and so I would come back on uni breaks, and it meant, as a team leader, I had to check all the work of all the people that I was working with. Um, there was no pay rise or anything. It was just a bit of extra responsibility for the sake of responsibility. But I, um, so I had to check everybody's work. So I'd delegate at the, start of a, um, at the start of a job and just say, hey, this is what you're going to do. This is what I'm going to do. And there was three of us on this particular job. And um, it was a 12-hour day for three of us. It was going to be a big job. Like, it was a massive property that we had to just wrangle. Like, it had gone way out of control. Um, so I put one guy on the mowing all day. Um, and 12 hours of mowing is a lot of lawn. So you can understand how big the lawn was. So he was mowing all day. And he, he was a fantastic worker. He did a great job at mowing. And the second guy... I put on hedging and whippersnipping. So whippersnipping, you wait till the mowing's done, then you follow the, the height that he's put, and hedging is hedging. You turn a shrub into a box. Um, and then I was on, yeah, I was on um, chainsawing, so I was cutting down trees and getting rid of some dead stuff. And we, um, we came to the point where I had to check everybody's work, so I got about an hour and a half in, then I came and checked all the hedging because the second employee was starting with the hedging. First employee, mowing, perfect. He did it great every time. And the second employee, I came along to see his hedges, and it looked like they'd not changed. The hedger was out. There was a couple of leaves on the ground, but the hedge hadn't changed. So I said, oh, you need to, need to trim it a bit. It needs to actually become nice and, nice and square. Like, we need nice edges. We don't, we don't want to see all this sticky stuff, or it, it can't be disheveled. And he's like, okay, I've got, I got you. And so I then went away, came back an hour later, and the hedges looked the same, but smaller. So I thought, okay, well, let me, let me be a bit more clear. You need to actually make nice lines. 
like the client, we, we were an expensive landscaping company. The client is expecting really nice, a really nice job. So I want your hedges to be perfect. Like they need to look like a cardboard box. Like that's how good the lines need to be. So I went away for an hour, kept on chainsawing, came back and had a heart attack. Because I looked at a hedge that was meant to be a nice square shape and one side was a metre tall, the other side was half a metre tall, which means that he cut, I don't even know what the, it's not a 45, anyway, he cut on a massive angle. One side was green and at the other end it was all sticky. And so I took over the hedging and I was like, right, I, we're, we're going to get fired for this job. Um, so I, I, tried, I neatened it up as best as I could. We got a complaint for that, um, and we actually lost the contract. We only went there twice. We lost it on the second time, which was really sad. And then I thought, oh, you know, I better check his whippersnipping if this is how he's done his hedging. Oh, I've, I've, I've never felt such pain. I pride myself on good whippersnipping. There's nothing better than having a really nice crisp lawn. Is there any dads out there or mums that you're like, mums, there we go, I love it. You love a crisp lawn? I love a crisp lawn, especially when the whippersnipping at the edge is perfect. It meets the edge of the house and there's no, no blades that were out. Oh, come on. Problem is, he hadn't cut it too tall. There was a whippersnipper-sized brown patch around every single one of the lawns. And I'm not talking like brown, I'm talking dirt. This man had cut a whippersnipper size the whole way around. So I immediately called the boss and said, come pick him up. He needs to be trained before he works. And he said, oh, um, well, he has been trained. He's just got no, no work ethic. And um, he was actually on thin ice. I didn't realize that because I'd only just met him. This was my first day back. And um, because I put this complaint in about his work, the man was let go. Um, the boss came, took him, and actually let him go. Now, that's not the moral of the story about letting go. It, um, it, it hurt me to delegate in that moment. And hence, for a little while after, I actually noticed it creeped into my leadership life here at church and on other landscaping jobs. I stopped delegating and I worked myself to the bone and got ridiculously exhausted because I was struggling to delegate because I needed to make sure it was done right. And we can do the same thing. We can start to think that God, his will for your life isn't going to be quite as good as ours. That if we delegate control of our life, it's not delegating, it's taking hands off. So we need to get that one thing in perspective. If we're not delegating to God, you're taking it. You have control. I'll be obedient to that. But some of us can struggle to take hands off because you might be a business leader and people have let you down when you've taken hands off a project. Some of you, you're making scrambled eggs and you get the kids to crack the eggs and you end up having the crunchiest eggs ever. But God, our God is not like that and his will is perfect for your life. So some of us need to get to the point where we say, you know what, I'm taking hands off. God, when I'm able to interpret and as I interpret your will, I will say yes. I will be obedient without fail. Because when it's without fail, when we are sold out for the cause of Jesus, watch how he works in your life. So now that we've prepped that, let's look at the question. What is God? How do we know God's will? How do we interpret God's will? And I think there's a, there's a bit of a difference. I'm going to use a few words here. There is a purpose in your life, and your purpose is to have an intimate relationship with God. And to glorify him. But that's not, that's not God's will. We're going to separate that straight away. Your purpose is simply in this world, know God, love him, have a relationship with him. Now, the plan for your life, I believe the plan for each of our lives is the same, but it looks different. The plan is be saved and then make disciples. 
It's not to save. We don't do any salvation. Jesus never said that we would save anybody. He said that we can make disciples because you can grow people. You can help people understand their faith. You can help people journey. So that, I believe, is our purpose, to be saved and then to make disciples. But God's will is everything between being saved, before that, making disciples until our death. And hence, because we have free will, because each of us is uniquely made, uniquely and wonderfully made, it will look different for every single one of us. It doesn't say that we need to fit a format or fit into a box and then God will use us. No, he meets us where we are at. In John 6, 37, it says, All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Jesus will meet you where you are at. He will never drive you away for where you stand on things, what your political, emotional, spiritual views are. He loves you. He will meet you where you are at, and he will use you however he can. So hence, his will for us is different. And because his will for us is different, because we are so individually made, the way he communicates with us is different. I cannot say to you that I can teach you how God is going to speak to you today because how he speaks to me is not how he will speak to you. And that is the truth of the matter today. If people are going to say the only way he speaks is through the word, then they need to read the word because that's not the case. If people think that God can't speak through the word, they need to read the word. Each and every single one of us will interpret how God is speaking to us and will hear from God in different ways. I like to think of it as a spectrum, right? So does everybody, if you don't, does anybody know about the visible light spectrum? Kind of, all right. So if we imagine the wavelengths of light that are actually emitted in this universe are from one side of the stage to the other, that's how many wavelengths there are. And if they're all a millimeter thick, you can imagine there's a millimeter thick wavelengths all the way along. And yet the amount of visible light that we can actually see is about the width of my hand compared to the size of the stage. And I like to think of the way that God communicates in much the same way. There is a spectrum of ways that God will communicate with each of us. And there's a spectrum of ways that he communicates that we still haven't even begun to be able to fathom. Because the way we communicate is such a small, finite amount. We communicate through body language, through our voices, through stories maybe. Yet I can't put a picture in your head. I can explain something and you can create your own picture. Yeah, I'm not capable of putting an image in your head. I'm not capable of giving you a prophecy that actually just, I don't need to communicate it and it's to you. See, God will communicate through a ridiculous amount of means. And hence, we need to start to learn how along that spectrum he communicates with us. So it starts with the posture. God, I need to learn how you talk to me. Or I need to learn more ways that you talk to me if you're relying on one. And so that's where we're going to, um, that's where we're going to start today. And I, I've, I've heard it too many times that um, people say, young people say it all the time, and um, too many people will say, God doesn't talk to me, or I don't hear God. And see, God is perfect, and therefore it leads me to the conclusion that God doesn't have a speaking problem. We have a listening problem. Come on, I'm going to say that again. God does not have a speaking problem. Church, we have a listening problem. And hence, 
Today, we're gonna, I'm going to hopefully challenge you that we're going to posture ourselves to actually begin hearing from God. If you're hearing from God, brilliant. Then I'm going to posture you to make sure that we are testing what we're saying because there is nothing more divisive than a Christian who has misinterpreted what God says or misinterpreted what the devil said as what God is saying and then speaks that out. We need to test and make sure what we're actually saying is God's will for our lives. But believe it or not, there is actually a big problem with us not being able to interpret the will of God or not having communication with God. The level to which you communicate, recognize God dreams, visions, and him speaking in your life is actually the level to which you are able to achieve success in this world. Now, I know that's a bit brutal, and I'm going to get to it in a moment, but it's so ridiculously clear in the Bible. Proverbs 29 verse 18, the King James Version says, Where there is no vision, the people perish the people perish. Now, the word for vision here is chow zone. And I probably made some of you hungry because you thought I said calzone, but no, it's chow zone. And the word chow zone here is directly translated to dreams, visions, and revelation. So we can say where there is a lack of the methods that God communicates through, people perish. And by perish, it doesn't mean physical death. It means the death of your marriage, of your hope, of your emotions, of your aspirations. There are a lot of walking dead people in this world who are husks of human beings that their emotions, aspirations, marriage, relationships are dead or dying in the water. And all they need to revive that is a God dream. So church, if we're going to be able to bring a God dream and be able to teach people how to, we need to understand what God dreams look like in our lives first. Come on, I'm preaching good. I don't think you're responding the way that I'm preaching. But your spiritual health, the success in your marriage, the success in your child raising can be directly correlated back to your open lines of communication with God. And I want to put it like this. There are a lot of successful, financially successful people in this world that don't call themselves Christian. But all you need to do is look at their emotional state, their relationship state, their marriages to know that they are the most broken people in the world. Financial success is not success. Success in every aspect of your life is success. And you watch those people who seem to have it all together, have their financial sense, have their relationship, their marriage. I guarantee that that person there has their relationship and their open lines of communication prioritized in their life. When God is prioritized, there will be success more than you can imagine. Now, it doesn't mean success in ways that you think success looks like. It's godly success. And it's so much better than anything we could imagine or what we comprehend or think. So in Psalm 126, 1-2, it says, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Now, when it uses that word dreamed, translators debate whether they use the word dreamed or health. Or restored to health. So if we read it with restored to health, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who were restored to health. Dreaming, communication with God, and restoration of your health can be directly translated in the Bible. It wasn't one or the other. If you had open lines of communication with God, you were considered to be healthy. Now, your physical health might be waiting to catch up with your spiritual health. But health in your life comes from 
a spiritual relationship and open lines of communication with God. There's no doubt about it. It is so ridiculously clear. And Proverbs, the same verse again, but Proverbs 29 verse 18 in the NIV says, Where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. Now, I like to think people casting off restraint is a case of the, who cares, it doesn't really matter, does it? Which that to me is a state of survival, but I hope I can convince you today, you weren't made for survival, you were made for significance. You were made for significance in this life. If you were in a state of survival of the who cares, it doesn't really matter anyway, does it? I don't really matter anyway. You were created for significance. God has a plan for your life so much greater than you could imagine. You were not created for survival. Now, it's not to say that you can't have success without God because people in the world have proved that, that you can in certain areas. But what God has for you is so much better. Is so much better. You have a custom part in God's grand design and you will not realize it or be able to participate in it if you're not able to receive revelation from God, if you can't receive his will for your life. So, shall we start to delve into how to actually know God's will? First thing is we need to ask him to speak to us. We need to come with a posture of God. I need to hear you. But in the same way, I need to, I need to break off a bit of a misconception right here. And I'll ask a simple question. Who here has heard the audible Who here has heard the audible voice of God more than twice? So we have this misconception, a lot of us, that you need to hear the audible voice of God to be able to hear from God. And I just want to break that off because how on earth is there a church filled with believers here who know the will of God and who are able to interpret the will of God? Yet most of us, if you've heard it, most of us haven't heard it. And most of us, if you've heard it, you've heard it once, maybe twice. You don't need to hear the audible voice of God because God communicates along a spectrum. He will use any method to get to your heart, any method to get to your mind. He doesn't need to use the audible voice. I just needed to break that misconception off. But there are a few ways that we, a few steps that we can take to learn God's will. So first is learn how he talks by spending time with the wise, by spending time with others. See, as I said before, I can't teach you how he speaks to you, but I can show you how he speaks to me. And through that, we can begin to learn, begin to grow in wisdom, begin to grow in understanding of how God can speak. Not how he does speak to you, but how he can speak. You want to learn from God? Spend time with people who practice and understand the will of God. Because most of us spend 36 hours or more a week with our co-workers. And some of us have the privilege of having Christian co-workers or strong believers as co-workers, but most of us... Do not. So some of us do, most of us don't. And hence, for 36 hours of your week, you spend time with people who are not going to be able to feed into you and not be able to sow into you and help you interpret the will of God or help show you how they interpret the will of God. Some of us come to church and that's the only time we really mingle with believers. Some of us go to life groups, which is fantastic. If you're not in a life group, this is a shameless plug. Get yourself into one if you want to be able to grow in your communication with God. It helps. But prioritize time with other believers. Praying. The amount of time, the amount of wisdom that I have grown from praying with my mentor 
and just being able to see how they interpret the will of God, see how they listen, see how their prayer life indicates how God speaks to them has been life-changing for me and has helped me begin to approach God in a different way, in a sensitive way. So prioritize time with other believers in that way. And the second thing that we can do to begin to increase our understanding of God and our communication with him is get rid of the staleness in your life. Some of us feel like we're in a bit of a wilderness period. It's got a bit stale. God's communication seems to have dried up. But again, God never stopped talking. We stopped listening. But there are, there are two reasons why this may have happened. I believe, I personally believe that each of us goes through a time of wilderness in our faith. And it is a time of testing of our faith, which will leave you stronger. And if that is the case, if God's revealed that you might be in a time of wilderness and you might be in a time that it feels a bit spiritual dry, that God's not speaking, it may be the case that your faith is being tested, which will be good for you. So I encourage you, persevere, have faith. God will continue his communication when the time is right, if you will have faith and continue. But the other reason is you might have too much of this world and not enough God in your life. And that's a challenge for all of us. How much of this world do you have in your life? I challenged Hillside Christian, and I, I wasn't going to put this in my sermon, but I challenged them the other week. Imagine two armies are going to battle, right? And one of the army will fight 24 hours a day picking up their weapons, whereas the other army will only pick up their weapons for five to ten minutes a day. Prayer is your weapon against the enemy, and he's fighting 24 hours. So if we'll only pick up our weapon for five to ten minutes a day, how are we meant to fight? How are we meant to actually have any impact? Whew, it's getting hot up here. I love it. But if there is too much world in your life and not enough God, then there's lots of different things we can do to decrease that. That's a whole sermon series in itself. But I think the simplest thing is to take what Paul said, to take what Jesus said and put it into practice. One of the most common things that Paul tells us to do is to pray and fast. Now, fasting is not just having a diet whilst you are praying. Fasting is actually how much of the world can I remove from myself? How much of my physical body, my emotional state can I remove so that all that is left is the spiritual? All that is left is an intimate connection with God. Fasting is nothing about the actual food itself. It's I need to remove as much of myself from this world as I can so that I can have more God. And so I encourage you, if you are able, pray and fast and do it regularly. One of the first things Brad ever said to me when he came on a senior pastor was the importance of fasting. He said it, I think, in his second sermon here at church to pray and fast. Now, for obvious reasons, there are people in here that will not be able to fast and that does not mean you're not going to be able to get closer with God and open lines of communication. You're just going to have to make sure that you spend time regularly. And I don't just mean once a month. I mean regularly reclusing yourself from the world, pulling back from all distractions, spending time with God. You want open lines of communication? Get rid of the things getting in the way of your communication with God. And prayer and fasting is one of the most effective ways that you can do that. So that's my challenge. If you're able, pray and fast this week. And you might just fast for a little bit of a day or you might fast for a whole day. Whatever it looks, I'm not going to tell you. You can figure that out yourself. Obviously, there are people who will not be able to do that and do not feel pressure. Please, from me, that would be wrong for me to pressure anybody into that. But I believe there was a man in Mark 8 who went through a bit of a spiritual dry patch like what we were talking about. And he had a posture 
one that I believe we need to start to adopt. See, Jesus healed a man, a blind man in Bethsaida. In Mark 8, verse 22, it said, They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man to him and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hand on the man's eyes. There's an important part just here that I need you to know. God's not, in par- God's not in it for partial healings. Jesus wants you fully healed. So if there's not a full healing that has taken place in your life, it's coming. And keep faith. Keep believing because it is coming. But, but once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village now, I, th- I think from this interpretation, we can actually, uh, maybe wrong, but I believe we can actually see that I think this man had his sight in the past and lost it because he knew what trees looked like. He said that there's people walking around like trees. Now, if he was blind from birth, I struggle to recognize how he would know what trees. People could explain it or he could touch trees and try to figure it out, but he knew what trees looked like. And so I, I, I just get the picture that this man had his sight before. Now, could be wrong, I wasn't there, but <laughs> he had, this, he had this, this moment where Jesus was coming into his town. And I can just imagine this man begging. And I believe, I reckon the words that were coming out of his mouth were, Jesus, would you do it once more? Would I see again once more? Would you open my eyes so I could see again once more, Lord God, would you do it? There would be such a desperation as he reached out for the hem of Jesus' robe, just wanting a touch from heaven. Once more, once more. See, if God has done it before, revealed his will to countless generations, then who are we to think that he won't do it to us? And I really want to break that off. If you think that God is not communicating with you and you can't begin to interpret his will, doesn't matter how old, how young you are in this room, God has been communicating for generations. And if you feel like it's gotten dry, then our posture is to be, God, I want to hear from you once more. I want to hear from you once more. And what is your posture? Are you waiting for Jesus to come to your town, to be brought to him? Are you waiting for him to come to your home? Jesus made his home in your heart. You don't need to wait till you're somewhere. You don't need to wait till you're postured correctly. Posture yourself with the expectation that God can move, that he is in your life. Say, God, would you do it once more? Would I hear from you once more? It says in Jeremiah 33 verse 3 in the New King James Version, Call to me and I will answer you. And show you great and mighty things which you do not know. If you don't know God's will, if your communication with God has been lacking, if you've been struggling to hear from heaven, call out. Ask of God. He's not walking into your house. He's already there. If you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he made his home in your heart. So we just need to call out. But then comes the hard part. This is the bit that is really going to challenge some believers who have been walking with God for a long time. We need to test what we hear from heaven 
because it can be so easily mixed up with this world, with the enemy, with our own imagination. And that's what I said at the start. There is nothing more divisive to the kingdom than a Christian who misinterprets God's will or who will speak out words that they get thinking that they are from heaven without having tested it first. There's nothing more divisive than giving a prophecy that will never come true because it was not from heaven. Or speaking a word of healing and saying that, oh, you're going to be healed at this time when that was not from heaven and that was not God's will. So we need to test that. I mean, in life, we start to test things. We need to know our limits, am I right? Has anybody done the, the sour milk test? Where you give, you give it, you smell it and it smells off, so you give it to dad to see for him to taste it. And then dad tastes it and says it's fine. And then gives it back to you and it's not fine and you put it all over your cereal. I love my father, but... Um, or the funny, funny car test. Um, is there any mechanics in the room right now? There's some partial mechanics. Good. Um, some of the mechanics are away. Um, they won't like me saying this. Has anybody done the funny sound test in their car where you've got a funny sound and you rev the engine, it goes away, therefore it's all good? No, just me. All right. Or the, there's also the water test. If you're jumping off a diving board or off a rock into water, um, I love doing that. And some people think I'm silly enough to do it without testing the water. But um, you always test the water first. You always, always check. But as, as humans, we need to test our limits. We, 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 we need to know where is our limit, what can we, will we go up to, and people get comfortable with that. They get comfortable knowing with, I've tested it, I know this is what I will do and this is what I won't do. Some people are comfortable jumping off a rock into water, other people aren't. And that's all good because we, we begin to understand, we begin to test things. Yet for some reason, some of us become okay with the assumption that God doesn't speak to us. Or some of us become okay with the assumption that I know that God speaks to me, so I no longer need to test when I get a prompting from heaven. Thinking that I'm holy enough that the devil can't get into my mind. Because that's not true. The devil will get into your mind as old as you are, as wise as you are, and as close to Jesus as you are. Because he will try to wheedle his way in. And hence, we need to constantly be testing before we speak a word over ourselves, over others, before we go in line with what we think God's will is, we have to make sure that we test it. Come on, I mean, I needed to test whether I can, be, I can survive being thrown from a uh, donut behind Andrew's boat at, boat at 50 k's an hour. I can. <laughs> I, I've, also, I've also tested. A, a friend told me that um, if you touch an electric fence with your elbow because the skin's super tough, the weenus skin is really tough and you can't hurt it, that it won't zap you. You can. <laughs> See, we shouldn't be making peace that we know enough and that now we don't need to test or that God doesn't speak to me. So I, don't need to, I, don't, I shouldn't pursue avenues of communication with God. But I'd like to leave us with five principles, five principles to help us know when it is God speaking. Oh, gee, I think Jess just dropped their mic. There is, um, we, we first need to understand how God speaks to us, which we can do by spending time with other faithful believers who interpret the will of God and by getting rid of the spiritual muck and the dryness, the staleness in the way, whatever is impeding our ability to speak to God with prayer and fasting. But then once we start to be aware of how God speaks, to actually be able to interpret and know his will from the rest of the words in our head, from our imagination, what the enemy is saying. We need to start to test. 
And so there's five things that I believe we can do. The most important and the first one is ask the question, is this word, this revelation, this dream, this vision, this prompting obedient to the word? Because the same spirit that inspired the word of God is the same spirit who speaks and prompts. And so he will never contradict his word. The spirit of God will never contradict his word. And I really need to challenge some people in this room. I need to challenge people on the podcast, wherever you are. Bitterness and unforgiveness, they can make a home in our hearts. And we start to begin to ignore God's promptings for forgiveness, thinking that people, that we're justified in our bitterness, unforgiveness. But the worst set of spiritual earmuffs that you can put on yourself that will stop your ability to hear God's will and hear what God's communication is, is unforgiveness and bitterness. That's why it constantly says in the Bible, how many times did Jesus say to forgive? Exactly. And for them, that was, a, that was an unfathomable amount of times. And 490 to us isn't. But what, he's got, what Jesus was trying to say in the context of the time, you need to forgive till you're dead. You need to forgive till you're in heaven. You need to forgive every opportunity you get. See, harboring resentment is the quickest way to stop hearing from God the quickest way to put on some spiritual earmuffs. Hence, Ephesians 4, verse 31 to 32 says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So that was a little bit of a tangent. But we need to test the word. And that's why the early church actually referred to scripture with a word konon. And in Greek, konon, I think I'm saying it right, konon, konon, was a measuring rod. And so the konon was a measuring rod that builders would use to make sure that their wall was straight, to make sure that it was in line with the plans. Much today, it's, I'm pretty sure you could probably use it to a tri-square or something. Make sure that it was straight. And so they referred to Scripture as the conon for their lives to make sure they were in line with God's will. They would measure their lives against the word. They would measure the words they got from heaven against Scripture. See, Scripture is your conon. If you believe you're receiving words from heaven, the first thing we need to do, as well as these other five principles, the first thing is bring it before Scripture. Is it in line with what God's word says? If it's not, then it's probably not from God. The second thing we can do is ask the question, is it glorifying Jesus? Is it glorifying Jesus? See, the role of the Spirit is to point us to Jesus. That's why systematic theologians like to refer to the Holy Spirit as the shy member of the Trinity. Because every time you try to pay attention to the Holy Spirit, he directs your gaze to Jesus. He directs your gaze to Jesus. So the question is, is the word that you're receiving glorifying Jesus? To hear young people try to justify things in their relationships because they got a word from God, yet it's so clearly against the word and so clearly not glorifying Jesus, it's heartbreaking. But John 16, 14 says, when, But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. He will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. Now, that was Jesus speaking, in case we didn't capture that. He will glorify me. Therefore, simple test. Does the word glorify Jesus? If so, 
then it's probably in line with God's will. The third one, is it tested by the people? And this is where we come back to, you were not made to be isolated. When Christians say, it's all right, I've got a relationship with God, but I don't attend church, it's not for me. It's the silliest thing I've ever heard. Because it's hard to know the will of God if you're not able to test the will of God against the people. Paul's, Paul was very clear of this in Corinthians. He said, two or three prophets should speak and others should weigh carefully what is said. Now, this was, this was happening at a time where the Corinthians were struggling. It just in their worship services, there were so many people giving words, giving prophecies that they believe were from heaven, that it became overwhelming, that people weren't actually able to test and weigh what was happening. And therefore, there were words that were slipping in that were not from God. And the church was acting on things that they should not have been. And so the word for way here is actually, well, that's why I also said two or three, so that people don't get overwhelmed. And then the word for way, means to weigh the balance, to discern, to judge, and to measure, is it wise? If you have a word from heaven, then a safe bet is bringing it before the church, bringing it to a spiritual mentor, a spiritual elder, somebody faith-filled who understands the will of God and asking, hey, I believe that this is a word from God. What do you think? Because nine times out of ten, if it's complete heresy, the person will be able to tell you on the spot. If not, they can sit with it, pray on it, and help you understand. So is it tested by the people, tested by the saints? Four, is it accompanied by life and peace from God? Romans 8, 6 says, The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Letting the spirit govern your life, letting him speak through your life. If I could have the worship team join me, that would be fantastic. Letting the spirit govern your mind through thoughts and actions will lead to serenity, peace, life, and vitality. The Lord works in peace and life. The enemy works in fear and doubt. And there are going to be times where God's will for you, his words for you, will be challenging and can be uncomfortable. And the reason they're challenging and uncomfortable is because we're caught in sin. And it's accountability, which something Michaela said to me one of the first times we ever met. Accountability only feels like attack when you are living in sin. So sometimes it can be challenging, but there will be peace. Peace, life, and vitality. And the last thing is, does it encourage the church? God is all about encouraging His church. The Spirit of God is all about encouraging His people. See, a couple of weeks ago, we had a young adult service. Um, one that I was, I think I was preaching at this young adult service. And um, I was going to Aldi just beforehand for a few things. And I walked into Aldi. And I got the things that I needed and I walked into the checkout. And behind me, there was this, this really grumpy lady. Um, she had kids that were just mucking about. And you could tell she was fed up. It was Sunday afternoon. She wanted to be relaxing and she had to do the grocery shopping. And Aldi seemed to be really busy this Sunday afternoon for some reason. Yet I got to the front and I was paying for my items. And I just felt God checking my spirit. You need to invite the checkout, the cashier, to the young adult service. And this lady was not having a good time. And I, was, I, I just, in that moment, I was so deflated and defeated. And I said, God, I, I don't want to hold this lady up. I, I can't do it. And I walked out to the car and put my things in the car and I put the key in the ignition and went to go turn it on and drive home. And as I went to, I just, I felt the biggest stirring in my spirit. It was just, are you going to be obedient or not? 
So I, I turned the car off. I, I walked back inside and I asked God, I was like, God, I don't want to hold people up. Would you give me an empty checkout in what seemed to be the busiest Sunday afternoon ever? Sure enough, aisle five, which is the busiest aisle in Aldi every single time, completely empty. I walked up to the front and I invited this young man to the young adult service. And he was overwhelmed and overjoyed at the fact that somebody would invite him. He said, just wow. It was so encouraging. Thank you. I, love, I would love to be there. Now, young man still hasn't come to young adults, which is a sad thing. But I'm going to encourage him next time I'm there and the time after and the time after. And you see, the word that I got from God can be used in this space to one, encourage you. But also, if that young man ever steps in this building, then it's going to be because a complete stranger to him invited him to church. And I guarantee that's going to be a story that he can use to encourage the church. So church, I don't want to be a part of a congregation who's not listening to Jesus, who's not in line with his will. So I need us to recognize, I want us to recognize the Spirit's voice. How do we interpret the will of God? We need to learn how he speaks to each of us because he communicates along a spectrum. It's not the same in any of us. We need to learn how he talks to others. We need to sit with the wise. We need to get rid of the staleness, the bitterness, those things that might get in the way. The easiest way is through prayer and fasting. But we can continue to just pursue God in every aspect of our lives. Continue to distance ourselves as much as we can from the world and get closer to Jesus. Then once or if we're already starting to receive words from God, we need to test them every time doesn't matter whether you think you're perfect or not, whether you think you know how God speaks, test it every time. Is it obedient to the world? Is it glorifying Jesus? Is it tested by the saints? Is it accompanied by life and peace from God? Does it encourage the church? And please, you don't need to be on your knees, hands together, eyes closed to hear from God. That prayer posture is such a religious one. We're, we're stuffed if that's the case because... Paul told us in 1 Thessalonians 5.16, pray without ceasing. I believe he said pray without ceasing because God doesn't stop talking. And prayer is our opportunity to posture ourselves and communicate with God. So if we're going to communicate with God without ceasing, if we have to do this every time we need to pray, it's going to be a little bit hard to pray without ceasing because we'll never get anything done. You can't evangelize when you're like this. Evangelism takes communication with others as well. But we can just posture ourselves in a moment and say, God, I need your will right now. Would you speak to me? Would you speak to my heart, straight to my soul? Would you challenge me where I need to be challenged? We need to get rid of some bad misconceptions about faith that God only speaks in his audible voice, that I need to be on my knees with my hands together, praying with eyes closed. God will meet you where you are at. Not where you think you need to be, but where you are at. And I wanted to give one last one last challenge. If we could put it to worship lights, that'd be fantastic. There's something that I've noticed within our church, and I've talked a little bit today about our need for community and our need to actually be surrounded by believers. Yet there seems to be, we, we, always, we will always offer an opportunity for prayer at the end of a service. We'll always offer that. 
Yet there's so many people that whilst we're worshiping here, the invite's always open. You can come up during worship. Our worship team is about to stand up right now. They're going to grab the prayer lanyards and they stand off to the sides ready in worship. Yet so many of us will only approach for prayer when the worship's done. And I guarantee it's out of an awkwardness. We don't want other people to know that we're broken. We don't want other people to know that we're struggling. Just the person who's praying for us. And we wait because it gets awkward. It gets uncomfortable. So we wait, everybody leaves, and then we come up the front. For church, we are a family, a church family. And in this space, we believe in healing. So be encouraged. If you need prayer, we're not waiting for the opportunity for Jesus to walk into our life. God is already healed. So why would we wait any longer to receive prayer? Why would we wait until the end of a worship song to receive prayer? Do you know what the most amazing thing about walking up during a worship song and not actually waiting is? There are countless people in this room that have a prayer list of people that need prayer. And I guarantee in that moment, they're jotting your name down. And that means that they're praying for you this week. So more than just the person at the front who's praying for you, you have a church that is backing you, that loves you to bits. That is our heart here at Kalamunda. We want to see people discipled, saved, and healed. So, my challenge, if you are needing prayer in this space, please do come up. But I'd love if you'd stand with me as we, we come back into this time of worship. I've got a specific burden for some spiritual dryness in this place. If we want to know the answer to the question, how do we know God's will? We know God's will when he imparts it to us. He will impart it through his communication. And unless we have our heart in line with him, unless we have open lines of communication with God, we are going to miss out on that. So I'd love to pray for some spiritual dryness. If you've been feeling far from God, there could be two reasons. One, you're in the wilderness. Be faithful and persevere. But two, there's too much of this world and you might need a little bit of that removed. There's a perfect opportunity. Our prayer team is going to come around. And you can come up for prayer. You can come up. I don't want to be more, Lord God. Would you do it once more? So church, if that would be your heart cry, that you want once more to feel the Holy Presence, you want once more to feel God in your life again. If there is a spiritual dryness, then I encourage you. We're going to be singing rest on us. Which is literally saying, God, would you rest on me? More of you less of this world and as we sing I'd encourage you take a step forward in boldness in faith do not wait for an opportunity to feel less uncomfortable get uncomfortable make your way to the front where our prayer team is just going to pray for you and release things from you if you need prayer for any other reason please come as well it's been a privilege to preach for you this morning just going to hand over to the worship team. We're going to sing, we're going to worship and don't miss out on this opportunity for prayer.